It is good to see everybody this morning. I love it. I like having to fight through the chatter. I love that you're connecting. Uh, my name is Drew. I'm the pastor here at Hope Community Church in Columbia Heights. Uh, that was the highest production I think we've ever had here at Heights. So you witnessed something today. Uh, we actually had to rehearse. So if you believe it, it didn't work. But if we rehearsed, uh, oh, I'm so, uh, as sitting in the back hearing Laura share, um, just was really encouraging. That was our dream uh, and really our vision as we started our location up here is how do we, how do we be people who bring joy to our community? How do we be a blessing as we've been deeply blessed in the gospel? Um, and we saw lots of opportunities. God kept giving us opportunities within the school specifically as a community partner. And it's, it's been really encouraging to see that. It's really a joy now to get a call from the school because they're like, hey, we just need help with this thing. Uh, we need help like cleaning lockers, and we know you guys are here to help. So that's a joy to know that, uh, and for you to know that that's uh, what happens when we are willing to give our our time and our talents and our hearts and our treasures to things. Um, it's really cool. Um, I, uh, I, I don't specifically have a way I'd like to be announced, but I have uh, a great uh, a video here I just want to share with you to, uh, to help us get thinking about what we're talking about today in the Book of Romans. So just enjoy this. Uh, and, and let it spur on maybe some thoughts on what it looks like to be introduced and how we introduce ourselves. From the upcoming film, True Crimes, we welcome two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey. Thank you. I am two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey. You know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey going to get some well-needed shut-eye. And when I dream, I don't just dream any old dream. No, sir. I dream about being three-time Golden Globe winning actor Jim Carrey. because then I would be enough. <laughs> it would finally be true. <laughs> and I could stop this, this terrible search. <laughs> For what I know ultimately won't fulfill me. But these are important, these awards. I don't want you to think that just because if you blew up our solar system alone, you wouldn't be able to find us or any of human history with the naked eye. But from our perspective, this is huge. One more time, here are the nominees for Best Motion Picture Comedy. The Big Short. Um, oh, I love it. So it's one of those great moments that, uh, where like satire is so good because it's, uh, I'm laughing. I'm going, Oh, it's so funny. And then at the same time, I'm going like, Ooh, yeah, I do that. I, uh, I'm sure of things being, uh, an introduction of me or my identity or who I call myself or others call me will ultimately fulfill me, fill that void within me. 
but there's part of me that knows it isn't also. Uh, I love, it's a great, uh, I think, introduction to us thinking about our own identity and how much us, how we would consider ourselves being introduced or others. What, what are the words that you maybe even use to describe yourself or others? How those pursuits that we have to become certain people uh, and be, become a certain identity, that those things become uh, what we hope will ultimately fulfill us. And, uh, and there's something there, right? God wired us. There is an identity that does fulfill us. Um, and so today in Romans, we're going to look at what that looks like. There isn't an, an identity that actually changes our behavior and our action. There's actually a, a way where there's things that, that we do that maybe we don't want to do, or there's things that we'd love to do better. And, and we're trying lots of ways to figure those things out. And there's actually something that changes us and changes those. And so we are in a study in the book of Romans. Uh, excited to continue this. And we are moving into a section in Romans here. We're kind of going through four sections of Romans, a section we're calling, How Do We Then? How do we live then? And we started Romans by understanding the effects of sin, how our turning away, our disobedience from God affects us uh, and how Christ has come to rescue us and how faith in him actually changes who we are. And then when, once we're changed, what does that look like? And so we're just really, these, these next weeks are the ones we're moving into. What does that look like then? If the gospel changes us, this good news that we've been rescued changes us, what does that look like uh, in the book of Romans here uh, and for our lives uh, every week reminding you, but there's resources on our app, our website, lots of resources um, from all sorts of things, but specifically on Romans. Um, there's also a, a podcast that our senior pastor, Steve, uh, records of him just walking through Romans, many, many years of him studying it uh, with uh, people and, and what he's learned. And also we have a free uh, Romans uh, journal. If you love it, it's, it has all of Romans, the scripture and blank pages to write in. We'd love for you to grab one of those. We have them out on tables. Grab that after the service. Um, just to kind of walk, walk through this with us. Last week, as we were in Romans 5, we heard the, uh, we felt and heard this news that we um, kind of, I think, isn't hard to understand or feel around us. And it seems as if death wins over and over again. Brokenness wins over and over again. Sin, suffering might win. And Paul reminded us last week that that is not true. Actually, grace has won in that every time when it comes to sin versus grace, grace will win as Christ has triumphed over death and sin in his death and resurrection. It's this great, great news that we hear in Romans 5. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. The sin is not charged against anyone's account. There is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command. So this reminding us that Adam brought sin into the world and it continued to come into the world through us, but then that Christ has come and has become the better Adam, the true, the true Adam. And so Adam says no to God and Christ says yes to God. Adam, with Adam, we inherit sin, and with Christ, we inherit his righteousness as he goes to the cross and bears the death that we deserve for our sin. Adam, we, de- we earn our death, and Christ, he gives us life in grace. One trespass brings condemnation for us all in one sacrifice, justification, or being made right with God for all of us. Adam's life brings destruction. It's destructive, and Jesus is redemptive. And so then we hear this great news at the end of Romans 5. The law was brought in so that the trespasses might increase. The law, the, 
the later in scripture in the Old Testament, we hear this law is brought in and it shows us how we're supposed to live. And then how we end up breaking those laws, those rules also. And so sin increases more and more. We're more and more aware of how much we turn from God. We don't live the way we were created to live in sin. And death then comes from that. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. All those sins as we sin more and more and as all of human history sinned more and more, more and more grace was poured onto those in order to bring life to all of those people and all of us. So that just as sin reigned in death also, grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so as sin reigned, now we know grace reigns. So as there's more sin, there's more grace. And so the next thing we see in Romans is where we're going to start today really in Romans 6. If that's true, if, if there's more grace that's given to us as there's more sin that we commit, then a question that might come about and a very real question that people have had is this question, then maybe I should sin more because then there's more grace, right? We want more grace in the world. And if what brings about that is sin, then maybe we should sin more. I was able to create some memes. I, did, I couldn't pick between these two. Like, so, right? We all like grace, so I'll just keep going sinning. Or You have me to thank for all that grace because all my sin. <laughs> this is the question that Paul asks. And he asks this, he goes back to this um, way of writing Romans that he did before where he kind of uh, asks questions as if he's having a dialogue with someone, almost an interview with someone. And he asked this question, we would guess probably he has had many conversations about the gospel and about grace and sin and Jesus and death with people. And this may be something that's come up as he says, as he says, yes, as you sin more, there's more grace. Uh, and they go, well, then should I keep sinning to more grace? So they actually, he asked this question so that he can help us understand uh, what that looks like. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Should we keep sinning so there's more and more grace? And he doesn't, uh, sometimes he, he will explain here. Sometimes he kind of explains for a while and then he gets to his answer. This one, he goes right to the answer. By no means, no way, no. It's a strong no. If you're a parent, sometimes there's a moment you have the, you don't have the, the like, hey, what are you thinking? Oh, no way. Let's talk about it. You just have the no, no, let's stop that before it gets out of hand. So should we keep sinning so that grace may bound? By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? So he's, he's saying, how could you sin? How could we continue moving towards that? Because we no longer, if you understood the gospel, are those people. This is actually a, a, a maybe unofficially, I think we live by this sometimes. We go like, well, it's, this sin's not that big a deal. And Jesus will forgive me. I think as a believer, maybe as a Christian, we, we live this way. We think, well, I know I'll be forgiven for this. Maybe you've had that in a relationship with someone. I know they'll forgive me for this. I'll ask for forgiveness later. We, we may even live that way in our life and think this way. There's actually people who, who thought this, actually taught this theologically. One of the most famous is Rasputin. I was into making memes this week, so you're going to get some sweet memes. Uh, who actually said, those who sin most require most forgiveness. He actually would justify the things he was doing and even taught those around him. Uh, in, in, uh, if you know Rasputin, he's a, just the picture. Uh, very strong, very Halloween-y. Um, he was considered a spiritual, wise advisor uh, in Russia and um, did some, some sinning. And actually believed that if, if I sin more, 
then there'll be more grace, which means I experience more forgiveness, which means I must experience more joy. And so he would say, go keep sinning a lot and then just come back to the church and repent. And then you'll experience all that joy that comes from getting to repent. So there's actually moments where he would share with people that you should go sin more if you want to experience more joy. So yeah, he really believed this. And I think, I think I believe this sometimes too. And Paul says, no, this is not how it works. And it's not just because Jesus did a lot for you, so you shouldn't do this, or you owe him. He's actually saying something really interesting here, and he's going to go on to explain that. He starts talking about it right here. How can we who died to sin still live in it? He's not going to say, no, because now you have to behave, or because you don't want to get kicked out of your church, or because uh, you want people to like you, or I think in my own life, it, it often can be just Jesus did a lot for you, so you owe him big time. How could you do that to him? He actually says, no, you died to sin. How could you still live in it? And then he goes on to explain, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He gives us this incredible picture. He says, don't you know? It's not about you just changing your behavior. It's actually the gospel has changed you. You're a new person. This is a great picture from uh, just recently. You get to go to Stan's pool, the coolest place to baptize people. And all of you gather around. It's just a magical, I love it if no one else does. Uh, we get to gather around Stan's pool and baptize. Just recently get to see some of our people make that declaration, say, I wanna have, I'm putting my faith in Christ. I'm being made new. And then we get to act that out. That's what our baptism does. And so in that moment, we actually put someone under the water, a symbol, an image of them actually dying as Christ died in the tomb. And then we pull them out of the water and then we all cheer and clap. It's, it's such a good moment because it's a picture of us dying and being raised to new life. That's what Paul's telling us here. When you're putting faith in Christ, he's changing you. God is changing you. You're a new person. It's not that now you just joined a different group and this group doesn't do this thing. It's that God has changed you. Why, why would you keep sinning? Why would you want to keep desiring to move towards those things when now you've been made new, you've been made alive? And so we get to see that sweet picture uh, in baptism uh, as people proclaim that and we get to cheer it on because we get to see a, a life change uh, in that moment. He goes on to continue talking about this picture of us changing um, that we're actually like, it's as if, if you could picture us like holding on to Jesus as he died and as he came out of the grave. It's like he, he took us with him in that death uh, and that resurrection. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Are you saying? It's this picture of us. We're held by Christ and it's like he jumps in with us to pay the, the penalty for death and he comes out new and resurrected Jesus and we're with him. New and resurrected people. No longer, no longer having the, the weight of sin, no, uh, of, of sin or the wages that we owe uh, God, but also not having that any long, longer be the one who has authority over us. No longer being enslaved to it. For one who has died has been set free from sin. 
If now we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. He's telling us this, right, kind of in different ways over and over. You, you're forget, he's, he's saying, why would you ask the question, should I keep sinning to get grace? No, grace has actually changed who you are. It's changed your desires. It's changed your motives. It's changed uh, what it looks like for you to live and why you get up in the morning. This image isn't that actually hard. I think we act, often actually uh, see this all around us. This idea that we're actually, uh, our identity is actually tied to other people or tied to something we're connected to. We actually saw this just this week. Um, if you were following, which is all I really do is follow the Taylor Swift Kelsey news. Uh, there's an incredible uh, tight end uh, in Kelsey and he's dating, I think, I don't know, uh, Taylor Swift. And it has like is world news right now uh, about it. And so Two very famous people are dating on each other, and there was a, a like a TikTok challenge for girlfriends and wives to uh, talk to their husbands' boyfriends about how Taylor Swift put him on the map, um, just because they knew they'd get a rise out of. I can sh I'll show you. It's pretty fun uh, to um, see. Like you know how Taylor Swift is with the, like literally because of Taylor Swift, Trust Kelsey is, is now so Dude. popular. Literally, no. Taylor Swift is literally the reason why he's so popular. I don't care what you say, but uh, that's the truth. Maybe, maybe he is now known to people who never knew of him before. No one knew of him. That's what they're saying in the headlines and stuff. Trash. You that like is trash. So you know, if you play fantasy football, <laughs> if you play fantasy football. You draft a wide receiver, a running back, or Travis Kelsey in the first round. Everybody does that because he is unquestionably the best tight end so who has played the game in like for the past 10 years. Uh, so obviously here, it seems as like Kelsey has went from Hall of Fame tight end to now his identity is just Taylor Swift's boyfriend, right? <laughs> Well, thankfully, it's the internet, so someone has created it the other way. They, you know what's really funny? What? That Travis literally put that Taylor girl on the map. Are you serious? Yeah. She, she's won 12 Grammys so far. But, like, I mean, I know she's a singer, but she's not, like, a superstar or anything. <laughs> she's not, she had four albums in the Billboard Top 10 at the same time. But, like, who's, like, her audience? I've never heard of her. Only... 1.5 billion people stream Blank Space on Spotify. I don't think so. I... That's so fun. <laughs> I think that one's staged, but it's still very funny. <laughs> this, uh, right, this isn't a, a foreign idea, though. I, you maybe even experienced such in your life, right? You're associated with someone, maybe you're somebody's spouse and not your name when you're introduced somewhere. Uh, or maybe you're just associated as a fan, right? If you wore a jersey of something, you're just one of those fans. You, all, your identity, all of a sudden, lots of things can be attributed to you, whether or not they're true, because your association. Well, these are like broken, right? It, in a sinful, broken world, these are kind of versions of that. But there is like an ultimate, it's because it's built into us. It's an ultimate unification, right, of us with someone. There's an ultimate way that we are connected and uni unified with someone, and that's actually what brings us a new identity in life. So Tim Keller has something important to say about this. 
this is the last meme, sorry. I'll actually just use a quote. Um, I was just getting so excited with memes. That's when I felt like it was too much. I had to pause. Tim Keller says this about it. This is, this is what's so important, and this is what Paul wants us to understand here uh, of, of our identity. When a non-Christian sins, they're acting in accord with their identity, with who they are. Why wouldn't they sin? But when someone is united to Christ, everything changes because who they are changes. There's a new me. When a Christian sins, they're acting against their identity. Why would they sin? Therefore, if I sin, it is because I do not realize who I am. I've forgotten what has been done for me in Christ. This is the essence of, of, of what we're getting at here today with Paul. He's saying, you're forgetting who you are. And we forget who we are. We turn to other identities of who we are and act out of those identities. And we forget the gospel has changed us. And it's really good news. Because a lot of the sin that I'm trying so hard to stop doesn't come because I say my identity is a person who doesn't do that sin, but it comes out of a person who is in Christ. That I put on a, a Jesus jacket and, a, and Jesus now covers me and, and that's who I'm identified as. That's why God looks at me and sees a perfect sinless person who he welcomes into heaven is because Christ has held me. In fact, um, there's some commentaries that say at the time this was written, that it could have been, a, um, there was some punishment uh, in that region of the world, where if someone had killed someone as a punishment, they would actually make them like uh, carry the corpse of the person and like carry it around with them. Uh, I don't know how true that is or not. It's a cool image though. And so it's like, I wonder if this had some connection here. It's as if Christ is carrying us around with him and he actually carried us into the punishment for our sin and out into resurrection with us. And so Paul, as we're united with Christ, and it changes who we are, and it changes who we each day get up and say we are, um, Paul finishes our, our part of Romans here for today. He says, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. No death no longer has dominion over him. That's no longer in the history. That's no longer in the future. There's no calendar that says that you, get to, you have to die again. Christ has done it once for all for all of time. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also might consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the first time, verse 11 there, that Paul tells us to do something in scripture, in, in the book of Romans. The book of Romans actually unpacks a lot of theology about who God is and who we are and our, our state of where we are at. And then he gets to this place in Romans 6 and he says, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to start with this. Consider, or maybe you've, you've read the version of this. It says, count yourself. Or maybe remember or know that you are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. When you look at yourself in the mirror, you are dead to sin and alive in Christ Jesus. The sin that feels like it might have dominion over you does not. And so I think we get a lot of labels, right? We get a lot of things that we call ourselves, Maybe a lot of things that others call us, ways that we're introduced. Those phrases might come from uh, internally, the voice we hear of who you are, whether that's good or bad or uh, gospel truth or not. I think a lot of times those voices come from outside of us. We're hearing who we are. We're getting told who we are. And then out of that is how we act and how we live and how we think and feel. And not starting with the one who created us and what he calls us. Actually, asked Zariah. So Zariah has been dying for this. Uh, 
a few months ago, Zariah created a slide for us. She's dying to create a slide. So once again, friends, you're a special week this week. Get the new blue bin and you get a specially designed slide by Zariah this week. I asked Zariah, I said, I need your help. I need you to describe words that we would say that we describe ourselves as. If I said, hey, I'm Drew and I'm, and so here's just a quick list along with Google images that are strategically placed throughout the picture. You'll be able to guess some of these. We thought of, we might identify ourselves as short or tall, cute, funny, rude, devious. That must've been a vocabulary word. That was a good word. Sweet, loving, goofy, dumb, smart, really smart, not very kind or mean. Those came up with a similar picture. <laughs> Tall again, vengeful, not enough, lazy, loved, classic, a doofus. I don't know which one doofus is. That's a classic word, doofus. Loser, dangerous, or alone. Those are good words. Actually, it's a pretty good summary of feelings I felt throughout maybe even one day things that have described me, right? Things that I might put on a label, I'm Drew and I'm alone. Well, they're not, they're true, but think of that, alone. So if, if I say I'm Drew and I'm alone, uh, that would affect my day, right? I might have to spend my day trying to find people to hang out with me. I might change how I talk to people so that I'm not alone, so people will do things with me. I might actually change kind of who I am or even change, even lie about what I like just so someone will be with me so I no longer have to carry the alone name tag with me. I might seek that out uh, in places maybe digitally online or actual people in real life. I might get in myself into some trouble just because I want people to be around me. I no longer want to carry that badge of alone with me because I forget that I, gospel tells me you can't be alone. That Christ, God is not only with you, but he has given you a family to be with. And so instead of just having name tags that can easily peel on and off, I, it kind of makes me think of God has given us, as we're new, almost tattoos that, that aren't coming off, that I can wake up and I can go, oh, I am a child of God. That's true. And he's given us actually not just by ourselves, but a family of people who also all have died to sin and been made alive in Jesus. And together we get to remind each other of these great truths of who we are and what our identity is. And out of that is where Paul's going. He's going to start this discussion here. And next week, Aaron's going to continue for us. What does it look like then if, if first we can consider ourselves dead to sin, if first we can rest in our gospel identity, what does that look like? He says, let uh, not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. That word reign is used again before sin was reigning then grace reigned and now is saying, don't let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Don't use, don't use your, yourself. You weren't created, your body, your mind, your heart wasn't created for things that aren't right, aren't what God made. That's what sin wants you to do. But present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. This is what I want, right? This is where I start. I say, I want to be an instrument of righteousness. I want to not use myself for sin. But I often just start there and I go, just try harder, Drew. 
forgetting that I first have to consider. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Christ has died for the punishment that we have for being sinners, have turning away from God, not obeying the law. And grace now allows us to live lives that we can say no to sin. Sin is going to whisper to me, Drew, you're, this is who you are and this is what you should do. And I can say, you, you don't get to do that. Because I'm now alive in Christ, I'm no longer yours. And so we have, this combo is so important. We talk about this a lot, I hope it's so, so important. That first we consider ourselves dead to sin and from there then God uses us. And so there's an order to this that's very important. It's an order that actually today I was very proud getting to watch that video. I hear Laura talk about how we love people well. And even the phrase, I have, been, I have been asked by teachers who said, what kind of people are at your church? That they would, in a good way, <laughs> what kind of people are at your church who would like give their money or their time to hang out? We, we had a group, uh, a few of us and a group of high school students this summer came and cleaned lockers for the day. And two different people came by and like, what kind of people clean lockers? Kind of joking, but at the same time, why would you spend your day cleaning lockers in a school? It's because this has changed for us. Because I've died to sin and I'm alive in Christ because it's okay to take my time that God has given me now. I don't need to spend that time trying to find people to make me not lonely anymore. I get to spend that time serving and loving because my heart has changed. It's given me a different desire. My, my talents, the use of my talents has changed. It's no longer just for me to get things Often even I think my talents, uh, sin makes me want to just use them for me to gather more treasure. But now I talents I want to use to help more people and care for more people and be a blessing. And actually I don't, I'm not just desiring more treasure, right? Or more funds in my bank account. I'm actually excited to use those for others. The gospel changes us in pretty big ways to the point where people might say, what kind of people would do this? Because they... Maybe you have an experience. They're unaware of the fact that the gospel actually changes us and frees us, that we're different people. Uh, a story that I love, it's a short story in scripture here. This will be our last little story before we uh, just sing together. Is a story of Zacchaeus. This is a, a story where you get to see this kind of inaction. And I love it because um, I, I love the song. And I just think this is a, a really cool moment of someone changing. So let me just tell you this story. You probably know this story. It's about the a guy who maybe was identified as short, uh, climbed a tree and met Jesus. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. I also like the Z. When I was a kid, anyone think with a Z name? So my last name has a Z. I felt, it felt cool. So there's a guy named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. You should know tax collectors weren't popular. Uh, They're actually given permission if they wanted to, to take extra money in taxes for themselves. Uh, and he was a wealthy one, so he probably took, took plenty of money, which would make people not real happy with him. They kind of worked for the government, took their money, and he was short. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So Jesus was coming to this town, and people were gathered to meet this Jesus and see this Jesus, and he couldn't see them. But he seems like a smart guy, so he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see so he climbs up a tree so that he can actually get a glimpse of Jesus since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, I, this, I mean, could you imagine? If this is a movie, this would be such a cool moment. You think this is like the sinner of sinners in town. 
Jesus looks up at him in the tree. People are gathered around. They're watching Jesus. I, I think there's a hope probably that, that maybe Jesus will tell this guy to give him their money back or at least yell at him or Zacchaeus, you're terrible. Get out of here. I don't want to be around you. He looks up at Jesus. He looks up at Zacchaeus. Jesus does. This real sinner, this real broken man. He says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. Probably a nice house. Goes, wants to go. There. In this moment, he goes, Zacchaeus, come down, be with me, and let's go to your home. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Incredible, right? He probably had no idea that was going to happen. Even just to see him from a distance in a tree would have been cool. But now Jesus wants to hang out with them. All the people saw this and they began to mutter, right? Grumble. One, one translation says, grumble and gripe. I really like that. The double G. They grumbled. Can you, can you hear all the mumbling and grumbling? He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. It's a pretty common phrase that happens in the Gospels, right? This happens almost all the time. Jesus hangs out with sinners and someone yells out, he's hanging out with sinners. Uh, you'd assume someone would eventually be like, that's kind of what he does. Uh, like eventually it wouldn't be surprising. Um, but yeah, understandably, Zacchaeus of all the people in town, you're going to pick the guy who's like overt, like obviously stealing a sinner, has turned away from God, has no, why, why would you do this, Jesus? But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. This is a quick story, huh? All of a sudden, something changes. Zacchaeus says, the thing that I was, the thing that I'm like known for taking, stealing, kind of his identity now that was one of taking has now become one of giving. Incredible in that, in the moment of just encountering Jesus. And Jesus said to him, Today's salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I made a quick list here. There's uh, a picture if you need a picture. That's Zacchaeus in the tree. That's Jesus. This is exactly what it looked like. <laughs> Everyone lined up real nice. Here's Zacchaeus, right? Here's words that we would describe. This is how we would introduce them. This is what Zacchaeus might have even woken up in the morning. He probably loved getting his money. He loved having a nice house, but he still knew. He just seems like a smart guy. He knew how to climb a tree. These are things we want to make. He was a tax collector. He was a taker. He was hated. Considered an enemy. He was far away. Lost. Jesus says he's come for the lost. He was alone. He was a son of sin. And look how Jesus changes them. In a, in a moment, in the Gospels, this is so cool. He goes from a tax collector to a friend of Jesus. And Jesus comes over to his house. He comes from a taker to a giver, from hated to now loved. Maybe not by the people there, but by the one who matters, right? Jesus himself moves towards him, stands with him, goes to his house. He's an enemy to a friend, far away to home. Think of like the image of this. He's up high in a tree far away from Jesus. And then he actually comes down to Jesus into his home. He goes from like uh, far away, not intimate, right? Kind of stranger, maybe acquaintance place to a, like to the ground to with him in his home. A very family connection there, familial and not just a distant acquaintance. He goes from far away to home, almost, a, almost an image of like baptism, while like he goes from like, he comes down and then is like 
And then in the passage, it says he stood up. So it's like he goes down and stands up. We see that often in Scripture, this cool image of like baptism. Zacchaeus sort of acts out this baptism in a moment. He goes from lost, Jesus says, to he is now found. He goes from alone. You can imagine in the, the town he's in. He's hanging out with lots of people. You think Zacchaeus is throwing parties and everyone's like, Zacchaeus is the coolest. Have you met Zacchaeus? So now he has family. He's the son of Abraham. Remember Abraham? He's got a lot of family. From a son of sin to a child of God. Uh, I share this because this is the same list I could probably use for all of you. I don't know if we have any tax collectors in the room, but I think the rest of them maybe. <laughs> you could figure it out. You've all, you've all taken something. It counts. This is the same for us, friends. We are people who are called. We are takers and hated and enemies, and we're far away and lost and alone, sons and daughters of sin. And we now are called children of God. And we have a family and a home, and we are loved. And that change, that's which. What changes is this gospel, this grace that we've been giving, that we get to carry with us, that changes us. Last week we talked about marinating in it. We get to sit in this grace and that changes us. It reminds us in each day you get to get up and be reminded that's who you are now. And that you might get up and go and decide, I got to figure out who I'm an enemy to. And said, what if you decided who you were a friend to? It's Jesus. It's God, the creator of the universe. And each day, I think Jesus even calls us to this. He says, come down. Stop working hard to sit up in a tree to get a glimpse at me. And instead, I want you to come. I want to be just in your home with you. I want to be in your life with you. I want to be right in the midst of you. And that's going to change you. Not, not a glimpse from like a distance, a like casual, like, okay, I guess that's kind of what Jesus looks like. But he wants to be right in the midst of it. He wants to change you and remind you of who you are, that you're a child of God with family, that you've been found that you're home and that you're loved. I'm going to invite our worship team up. This is what we get to do now, is sing words that remind us of this good, good news. A couple of things to consider as our team's coming up. Just as we respond to the gospel, we hear the gospel, we want to respond to it. Do you know Jesus, the one who makes you new? Maybe you've been kind of looking from the, from the tree. You're up in the tree and you're going, oh, that's kind of interesting. And I'll check out, a, maybe come some Sundays and see what hope's like. And gospel is interesting. Maybe I'll add it to some other things I think or believe. This maybe just is the day to say, you know, Jesus, I want you to come home with me. I want to be changed. What are your main identities? What sin defines you? If I were to ask you what, what defines you, how would you be introduced by, uh, to an audience? What are the words that, that you hold so close to you? Like these are really important and are those helpful identities to hold on to? Maybe what identities do you hold on to that just bring you tears? sadness, that hurt. Um, could the gospel redefine that for you? Who reminds you that you're dead to sin and alive in Christ? We're doing this together. Who gets to, to point you back to that? That's not true. That thing you're hearing is not true about who you are and who you deliver grace to this week. We get to deliver this good news. This is really good news. Uh, everyone you meet will be struggling with who they are. And everyone you meet can hear the good news that, that Christ has made them new. A couple ways we do this is uh, remembering these things. We do this through communion, and that's out in the hallways. We take communion. Uh, there's uh, crackers and uh, juice out there, and that's a way to remember Christ's death and resurrection, his body broken as we crack that, 
that uh, cracker and his blood shed and that act, that work that he did was that work where he brought us with him. He was was killed. He took on death so that we would not have to. We also sing. Uh, We're going to sing lots of great words here that are going to remind us of this good news. There's people in the back room who'd love to pray for you for anything. You can do that. Uh, And also we give in response and just share our treasures. And so that's, um, you can do, there's a black box or you can do that online. Uh, Black box at the communion table. Otherwise you can do that online on the app or on our website. Let me pray for us and we will continue worshiping here. Lord, uh, thank you that you grabbed us and, and brought us into death and you rose with us and that we can celebrate that good news. I pray we would be changed people. That is, we look to be different people, that it wouldn't just be us trying to muster up a change in our lives, but that we can consider over and over and over that we're dead to sin and alive in you. And as sin seems to have dominion over us, we'd be reminded that that's not true, that you do, that you have the power over that, and that we would rest in you, we'd look to you, we'd pray to you, and that we'd grab our brothers and sisters here to do that with us. Lord, I pray you would um, encourage our hearts as we sing these words now together. Amen.